The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. It's football season, and that, of course, means betting on football, college, and pro, which brings us to a sponsor of the show, MyBookie.com. MyBookie is your play to bet and win, and with many deposit and withdrawal options, you win, they pay. MyBookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They have the most rewarding player perks in the business, and get this, you can even bet on over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. MyBookie also has handicapping contests like the $150,000 MyBookie Super Contest, the $50,000 2019 Survivor Contest, their $75,000 March Madness Contest, and more. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, MyBookie, and use the promo code T-YARDS. That is T-YARDS to receive a match bonus of up to $1,000 on your first deposit. The promo code, once again, is T, the letter T, yards bet with my bookie win and get paid now on with the show welcome to three yards per carry a podcast covering the miami dolphins and the nfl now here's your hosts chris alf and simon and we're on and welcome to another edition of three yards per carry i'm alfredo artiaga simon clancy is here Chris Kaufman is here, and the world has changed, guys, since we last spoke. On Saturday, it seems we made a trade, and that trade, as, as it were, was Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills, for two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and two guys, one of them called Julian Davenport and another one, Johnson Batamosi. Simon, your thoughts on the trade? Did you like it? What do you think of the return? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't like it because I don't understand what the plan is. I, I thought I understood what the plan is, um, and I don't understand what the plan is anymore. Um, to me, you just don't get rid of franchise left tackles. I literally, in the last 15 minutes, had a conversation with Brian Baldinger, played for many years in the NFL, uh, and he, he messaged me to say no other tackle in the game today could have commanded such a price as Laramie Tunsil. You know, Baldinger thinks he's a top five tackle in the league. I read. Albert Breer's MMQB today and Breer quotes general managers and and, and coaches saying that Tunsil around the league is viewed as a top five tackle in the NFL. You know, uh, at what point do you stop giving away cornerstones? You know, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, those guys in the draft, they're, they're not Laramie Tunsil. You know, you, you had a cornerstone left tackle. Um I don't understand giving away and not giving away because obviously there was a huge return for him. But you've still got to make those picks. You still got to make those. You still got to bring those players in. 
Yeah. You know, it's been, it's been easy and I'd say slightly lazy to say, look at what the Cleveland Browns found themselves with two years ago, three years ago. Um, but to a degree, it's true. You know, how much do we trust Brian Greer and uh, Chris Greer and Brian Flores to make, uh, to, to make these picks of these players that we think are going to come in and, uh, and replace Tunsil. And you just look at the way that the roster has been just shaved down. The Vincent Taylor thing today, I, I find astonishing. I just don't understand what the, the plan is. Um, you know, at some point you're going to have to have some players in position. You think that, you know, people talk about get the quarterback, get a left tackle, get a cornerback, get a defensive end. It felt like we had two of the four and we were in position for the third, which was the, the quarterback. Now it feels like we just got rid of one of those corner zones. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it sat a little uncomfortably with me and the whole Kenny Stills thing as well. I, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know where we're going. You know, we've got an awful lot of draft capital where you've still got to pick those players and those players have got to turn into something. So it's either the greatest move of all time or these guys are going to be never employed again in the NFL. So, uh, you know, I, I feel very uncomfortable about it, I've got to say. Okay, before I bring in Chris, a lot of guys on Twitter were saying that this is unprecedented. And I think that the nearest example was Jason Peters in 2009 was traded by the Buffalo Bills to the Eagles for a first and a fourth round draft pick. How did it turn out? After that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Bills are still looking for a left tackle. The Eagles got a great career out of Jason Peters. Well, Chris, you saw the trade. What did you think of it in the immediate aftermath and today? It's not that I, it's not that I totally agree with the trade, but, I'll, you know, since Simon took point, I'll take counterpoint on this. Um, and I'll just say, one, when you don't have a quarterback that's worth protecting, then having your franchise left tackle is – practically useless um and i think that uh and that's that's something that we have to keep in mind and have to remember is that we don't have a franchise quarterback right now and we're probably still maybe even a couple of years from identifying that franchise i mean we'll take one in 2020 and we'll see if he even plays as a rookie in 20 in the year 2020 um and if he doesn't, or if he does, he's, he's probably not going to be, you know, he's not going to light the league on fire as a rookie. Uh, so it's 2021, fast forward, and Laramie Tunsil, his, his two years, the two years left on his deal are up before you really have the, the point of the left tackle. The point of the left tackle is to protect the franchise quarterback or to protect the elite caliber quarterback. And I've likened it to, like, having the best rims, you know, in the state – but no car. I mean, it's, it's, it's really pointless, I think, to, to have that. Now, obviously, you'd like them both, but we don't have them both right now. So, it's, um, so part, of the, part of this thing about Laramie Tunsil has always been, everybody brings up, well, you still got him cheap for two more years. It's like, yeah, but we still don't have a quarterback for two more years. So, um, so I, think, I think that, keep that in mind. Second thing to keep in mind about Laramie Tunsil, and, you know, obviously he's played well over the years, uh, over the last couple of years, particularly this year, he, you know, hit a level of performance during stretches. Um, but I don't think he was, I don't think he was already at that, or, you know, Orlando Pace, uh, Walter Jones, um, you know, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, uh, what's his name from uh, Baltimore now? Ogden, Jonathan Ogden, um, you know, brain farting here, but um, I don't think he was already there. And I know that the dolphins don't really believe that he's going to get there. So, um, so you gotta, I mean, that is in their purview to make that evaluation. So uh, I guess you got to 
trust them there. Or we don't have to, but I mean, some people will say you've got to trust them. Um, but the, the last thing I'll bring up is, you know, okay, how can you be that level of player when you still get as many penalties as he did? And because – and he is a penalty machine. I mean, he, he, gets, flag, he gets flagged every, every game, basically, for the last two years. And when you have one drive killer a game, you, you know, I don't know. That's like letting up – that's almost like letting up a sack a, a game, you know. And so, you know, maybe he, maybe he just totally gets over that and, and he's fine. Uh, in the future and that could be um but but is he really is he really elite when when that's happening i'm not sure that he is now let me ask you this simon because on thursday the network's own josh houts had a a poll and he was asking would you take Clowney and a first round pick for laramie tunsil and i chimed in on that thread and i said no but give me two first round picks a third round pick and they take a 2020 salary from us and i have to make the deal well, we actually did better than that. Isn't it just the point that it's an offer that's too good to refuse? Well, it is, but it depends on what, I mean, it goes back to the point that I'm, it depends what you feel like you can do with, you know, if you, if you can bring in a Laramie Tunsil type player and other players of that ilk, then great. But if you end up with Justin Gilbert and, mm. and, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, oh, the, 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 but it's true though, isn't it? I mean, no, 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 it's fair. how many, how, totally how fair. How often are hoping you... to come out with a guy like Larry Tunsil, <laughs> and it's of a coin course. flip whether you will. Yeah, you know, and and look, and, and to Chris's point, which I slightly disagree on, which you know, Chris says we don't have the quarterback, but we do know that we're gonna have that quarterback. We are aiming for that. You know, that's been the aim. That's the reason why we're not tanking, but tanking, uh, Brian. We're definitely tanking, Brian. Um, I can <laughs> confirm we are tanking. Um, you know. So that, that quarterback is going to be there. That's kind of the point of why we're going through all that we're going through. It feels like it, it's going to be an old situation when, you know, I, I, I pray for Ryan Fitzpatrick this year, but I pray a lot for, you know, Tua Tungavailoa next year when, you know, it's Zach Stirrup, Danny Isadora, Daniel Kilgore. Yeah, it won't be like that. But, you know, there's, there's, there's decent enough free agents on the offensive line. There's, it's a good draft of tackles, but... I'm not sure it's allowing me tons of draft tackles. And just to me, it just feels like at some point you've got to stop giving away really good players because you're not going to get all that back in return. Like somebody was talking yesterday about, I think maybe Adam Beasley talking about, you know, actually if you got rid of Xavier Howard, you could do that oh, deal. Geez. If And you just kind of think, well, you could do that deal, but what are you, what are you going to be left with? Now, now we're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what what are you gonna? It's like having a house and thinking, okay, I'll sell off the sofa and I'll sell off the the bed yeah. and I'll sell off the kitchen stools, and then you suddenly turn around and think, fuck, I've got nowhere to sit. Yeah, you're like my bank you know? account is getting big, but I have exactly. nowhere to sit. <laughs> exactly. At some point, yeah. you, those chickens have got to come home to roost in terms of those draft picks, and it's great to. Uh, nobody loves the draft more than me. All that draft capital over the next few years is beautiful. It's bounty, but how often do you see teams, you know? I can think of, you know, a couple of 49ers drafts when they drafted Steve Wallace and, and Tim McKay and, uh, mm-hmm. and those players back in, you know, back in the day, and Ronnie Lott and, and Roger Craig and those kind of drafts when they absolutely smashed it out of the park. Those drafts are pretty rare. They're pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And you look back, at, look back at last year's of the Colts. You go through, everybody talked about Braden Smith and about Quentin Nelson. There were a few misses on that, and everybody talked about it being an absolutely phenomenal draft for Chris Ballard, and it was. There was also some misses on there, some players that didn't work out, that they didn't get right. Dolphins have got a hit on an 
awful lot of those picks for Flores and Greer to look good. That's all I'm saying. But let me ask you one uh, question, uh, you know, and it's, it's who, who is the left tackle for Tom Brady? Who is the left tackle? Who's been the left tackle for Ben Roethlisberger? Who's been the left tackle for Russell Wilson? And who's been the left tackle for, you know, for a lot of Aaron Rodgers' career? I mean, we're talking about for Ben Ro- Big Ben. We're, a pretty good one, though. Who's that? Roethlisberger does have a pretty good one. He's got yeah. he's, he's got Alejandro Villanueva. I mean, that, right. that was it's a he's converted a good, it's a converted army tight end. He's, he's not, also a good he, player though. He's also a he's good a player. good play. He's a good player. Are we talking about him as being like a, a top five left tackle or even a top ten? I don't know. I, and, and Max Starks was his left tackle for most of Big Ben's I mean, career. Aaron, and, Aaron and Rogers, Tom Brady. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers has the best left tackle in football. All right, has, the, has Aaron, for, but for most of his career, he did not. Most well, of his 20, career, he did not have David Bakhtiari. 2013, okay. Bakhtiari was drafted. So, yeah, but he was he was he played guard for some time, didn't he? Or he he wasn't he wasn't what he is until probably three but four years the, ago. I suppose the argument is: it, does he have to? Does it matter that we had the guy, whether he was as good as a Brady left tackle or a Rogers? The guy was there. We didn't yeah. need to deal him. When Tua comes in next year, you think, okay. You've got a left tackle and you've got a quarterback. At this stage, when Tua comes in next year, we don't have a left tackle. and It's just something else we've got to find. It's another rookie we've got to blood. It's another, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? It's another yeah. process. Whereas, you know, Tunsil would be a fifth-year guy, an absolute team leader, uh, pretty much a stud in the league. You know, it, it just feels like, no, nah, we've got to find another piece. We've got to find, you know, I've got to find another sofa because I've burnt the other one. It's... I don't know. It just at some point, it feels like stop giving away. You're giving away too much. But let me ask you this. Let's say that Miami does not get the number one pick next year naturally somehow. <laughs> after, after this, after this, we're like, you know, dude. Okay. Yeah, dude. dude. Um, but, but, okay. Let's, let's say, let's say that somehow they don't, they don't end up with the number one pick. It's going, we've, we've talked about this before. It's going to be hard to get, let's say the only guy you really evaluate as being a potential elite quarterback, not just like, you know, a, a good franchise starter, but an elite quarterback is to a, a, in the next draft. And I think mm-hmm. that might be accurate because I'm, you know, I don't know how you've always felt about Justin Herbert. And I know how I have felt about Jordan Love, you know, cause Simon and I've been touting him since, you know, last year, but, um, but I, He's not there for me yet. He's not elite uh, prospect for me yet. So let's say the only guy you feel like is is elite is Tua, and the the team that is picking number one overall might be up for trade for trading. If you just have if you just have in your arsenal a second an extra second round pick, right? So you have two second round picks this year, and then presumably you'd be like, yeah, and we're also going to give you our first round in 2021. It Would that really be enough? I mean, because we're talking about going up and getting sort of the Andrew Luck type it prospect. For, it wasn't enough for Robert Griffin. So Yeah, it wasn't even enough for Robert Griffin at number two overall. Now imagine if they were shooting for number one overall to get Andrew Luck. Now that you have two first round picks in 2020, two first round picks in 2021, Two second round picks in 2020, and two more or two more second round picks in 20. Do I have that right? And so you've yeah, got yeah. you got that 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 net or that trove of four picks to offer, you know, plus whatever else you want to throw in. I mean, that gives you an actual shot at making this happen. Yeah. And so the point I was trying to make about the left tackle versus quarterback is yeah. 
got to prioritize one over the other. You, yeah. I mean, if there's if there's a Sophie's choice, we know what that choice is. Yeah, they the actually have, signs. Yeah, they actually Go have on, sorry, eight yeah. picks. They have eight picks in the top 100 the next two years coming yeah. up. The, the flip side that makes me feel better about this is knowing that there's an 85 percent chance that a quarterback who I think is a generational player is the mm. best quarterback I've seen. It's further along than Andrew Luck was, and therefore you have to take it. You have to take it back, right? Almost to John Elway, mm-hmm. and that's Tua Tungabailoa. That to me is the is the only bonus. If we end up taking Justin Herbert, who you know oh. we've talked about a little bit on this program on this podcast, who we think is nice and has got a strong arm, we like him. I, ju- we like I just him, don't. I ju- he is to me is not the number one pick, and he lacks. Mm. I mean, I, again, was proven against Auburn at the weekend lacks that killer instinct I just can't in the big games I just want to see him put it put Stanford away last year put Auburn away on Saturday he could not finish he could not make the throws that you just want to see from a guy that you're going to invest everything in to me you can see those with Tua he is just a different kettle of fish that to me for all this asset stripping that we're doing the Kiko Alonso gone Vincent Taylor gone John Denny gone, all these guys gone 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 the one shining light in my Dolphins life is the knowledge that we are close to changing everything that's happened since Dan Marino walked off the field against Jacksonville and we lost 62-7 because of that kid or Trevor Lawrence. And now we have the capital to make sure that we get one of those two guys to come away with somebody else that isn't Tua or Trevor Lawrence. If it is Justin Herbert, to me, that makes none of this worthwhile. To come away with Tua makes it worthwhile because you are, as Don Draper said in Mad Men, you are finally changing the conversation. And we haven't changed the conversation in Miami for 20 plus years. That's now, an awfully bright silver lining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you That's another, kind of the point, right? I'll give you another one. Yeah, I'll give you 100%. another bright silver lining. I'll give you another one. And this is something that I posted on Twitter yesterday in the drunken stupor poolside. Every day. Yeah, pretty much. Although the weather's terrible here because, you know, this, this hurricane's parked outside of our waters over the Bahamas. So, you know, I can't go outside. But I posted this on Twitter and everybody seemed to agree with me like, oh, you know, this is a, this is a, you know, you're really bringing the sunshine today. And that's this, the Cleveland Browns in 2017 went 0-16. A year later, they lost their all-world left tackle. Sound familiar so far? And drafted Baker Mayfield number one. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. And then just a year later, they're competent. And then this year, is the year that everybody's putting Cleveland near or on the Super Bowl. They did all of this in, three, in two seasons, and now they're going on the third season. So am I crazy to think that they can do the same and 2021 could be the Dolphins-Browns 2019? Not at all. That's the plan. I mean, that's, exactly. that's the idea. I mean, they're, they're, they're looking at a blueprint, and they're saying, well, let's, let's get this done. And they have a luxury that – I've heard, I've actually seen a, a anonymous, you know, type report saying some GMs out there are like, man, I wish that I had what Chris Greer has right now, which is no pressure to win right now. And just all these resources to try and build the, this right. And that's, so that's, that's the operating, you know, thesis, I think. Um, the question I would have really about this, the one last thing about tackles, Laramie Tunsil, Tua Tungavailoa, um, all that stuff. I'll put it to both of you really. And I I know that Simon, you've commented on this before. Is there a thing about this left versus right tackle thing? I mean, Tua is a lefty. 
I mean, if you go back and Steve Young, he had Harris Barton, right, at, uh, the right tackle, and that was the all-pro. Yeah, um, Steve was a left tackle. Uh, and, but uh, on the but Harris Barton was the all-pro, right? Yeah, absolutely. On the other hand, Mark Brunel, Mark Brunel, and if you go to like Boomer Esiason, you know, Boomer Esiason obviously had Munoz. I Munoz, yeah. And and Mark Brunel had uh, Tony Baselli. Tony Baselli. But then yeah. again, Mark Brunel also had Leon Searcy. So, um, you know, that's like, is there a thing about that? I don't know. I I, I don't know. Um, Bama have prioritized moving their elite player to the left side to protect Jonah Williams. Obviously went from right side to left side. Mm -hmm. Um, They've done the same this year. Um, It will be, uh, I genuinely don't have an answer for it. And like, as we've just proven there, as you've just proven, history is um, slightly gray in this area in terms Mm -hmm. of how it works. I, I, I don't know. It is the honest answer. I look at free agency and I don't see a left tackle that we would bring in. So I feel like it's going to be a draftable player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are, there are certainly guards. Brandon Scherf fits the age profile. He's 26. He's had an excellent career so far. My, uh, Andres Pete has been very, very good in New Orleans. But in terms of that question about ta- I, I genuinely don't know the answer. I think probably we'd only get the answer potentially from somebody like Tua or from a from a veteran offensive line coach who I probably would say would say to us, it, it almost doesn't matter. It almost mm. doesn't matter because history tells us that it doesn't need to matter as much as maybe we think it does. I genuinely don't know the answer. Maybe we could trade for Lane Johnson. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe we could have just picked him when he was there to be picked. When we oh, traded man. Don't start me. Don't start me <laughs> on that. I've heard, I've heard people say that it's the opposite, that, you know, you still build your offensive line the same way. But I really don't. I really don't get how it how it is. You know, the quarterback is he's actually backwards. You know, mm-hmm. he's built backwards. He's not right-handed. He's left-handed. So therefore, the blind side is different. So mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, obviously now right tackle is more important if we are targeting Tua Tagovailoa, and you know, make no mistake, it's the target. So yeah, why not? It, it would actually make sense to me that now we're in the market for an elite right tackle, which is odd, but it's the truth. So, coming up, we'll talk about the 94 other players that we've got rid of in the past 24 hours. Kiko Alonso, the very surprising decision about Vincent Taylor. And we say goodbye to an oldest of old friends. Mr. John of Denny has finally left us. He has survived 93 coaches. He was alive when Vincent Lombardi was born. Uh, He was snapping when the Canton Bulldogs were playing. He is gone. He's 104 years old, and he will not play again for the Miami Dolphins. We don't think. Anyway, we shall have more after this hey this is seth levitt who you may not know and oj mcduffie who you definitely know and we're getting ready to dive back into the fish tank that's right juice season two of the fish tank podcast right here on the five reasons sports network kicks off on tuesday august 6th with our biggest catch yet hall of famer jason taylor i got the first hit in and then he proceeded to to grab my face mask and he i swear to god i've never seen anybody throw so many uppercuts <laughs> in so little time and he hit me in my stomach my solar plexus, plexus. and my esophagus <laughs> but it was like it was like it was on a, like a boomerang like i just kept boomeranging but the whole time he was holding my face mask and my head couldn't move <laughs> hey, and sw- like this was boomerang before boomerang he was even out on phones 
So don't miss JT, OJ, DJ Preach, and myself. And all new guests. And most importantly, more of the best Miami Dolphins stories that you've never heard. Exactly, Big Seth. We've got an amazing lineup of your favorite Dolphins from guys I play with to guys I looked up to and even some players you'll be cheering for this season. Hey, hey, don't forget those of us who work behind the scenes, Yeah, hey, you too. know I won't do that, man, because the Fish Tank takes you where no other Dolphin podcast can with some of the funniest, wildest, and most interesting stories of what goes on with your favorite team, players, and coaches when the cameras aren't watching. You can find the Fish Tank on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you do your podcast listening. So subscribe and start downloading today. Thanks for diving in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Ricky J. Mark. In a world where sports radio continues to shift around the whims of corporate interests, we understand that the constant, unexpected changes can be exhausting from time to time. So that's why we think you should sit back, relax, and take five. Uh, reasons, that is. So go ahead. Grab your smartphone and subscribe to the Five Reasons Sports Network, available on virtually every podcast platform. We're South Florida's fastest-growing on-demand sports media network, so you decide when you want to tune in. You decide when you want to listen. Because we know your life can be hectic, go ahead, fall in love with our lineup, including Five on the Floor, Three Yards Per Carry, The Fish Tank, light-skinned opinions, and Cinco Razones, whenever you want. All you need is an internet connection. So go ahead, tune in, try us out. We're by Miami, for Miami, and spreading rapidly throughout South Florida. Three Oscar Carry. I'm Sam Clancy with Chris Kaufman and Alfredo Artiaga. As always, we're dissecting the. Um, I mean, fire sale doesn't even come close to what's happened with the Dolphins in the last sort of 72 hours. But we've discussed Larry Tunsil. We haven't really touched on Kenny Stills. Quickly, loss of Kenny Stills. Upset, disappointed, happy, pleased, confused. Uh, what do we think about the departure of Kenny? Because Alan Hearns is still on the roster, for God's sake. Yeah, I don't get that one. <laughs> I don't. I really don't get that one. But Kenny Stills was a really good player for us for while he was here. Very efficient player. I understand that people are going to say, "Well, you know, he didn't. He never had a thousand yards when he was here. Who cares? He was really, really, really efficient." The reason he didn't have a thousand yards here is because there's a guy called Jarvis Landry getting five thousand catches a year and eight thousand targets. So Kenny Stills was a really good pay player for us. I think he was worth every single bit of the third round pick that we gave up for him. But he reached the point where, in a rebuild, he's probably worth more to complete that trade with the Texans to clear a little bit more cap space that you're probably going to have to use on the offensive line next year. So, you know, it's the necessary evil of pulling off this trade is the way they probably looked at it. And his usefulness had run its course for this team. He's going to be good with the Texans, though. He's better than Will Fuller. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm. I'm shilling now, but I'll take counterpoint again on on this um, and say that Kenny Stills 
I do appreciate him as a player and certainly appreciate him as a person. Um, but we've talked about this several times now. Uh, who is going to be sort of a Julian Edelman type slot player uh, for this this regime for Chad O'Shea and this sort of offense that he's bringing over from the Patriots? You know, we're talking about there's a history here with those type of players between Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, um, guys like that. So who's going to do that? Is it Kenny Stills? Kenny Stills is probably the closest because he has a lot of slot experience, but he doesn't run the same routes from the slot that those guys do. And his his slot specialty, he's always been very productive from the slot, and we've talked about that in the past, but his specialties were different, uh, were deeper routes from from the slot. And I think maybe it didn't fit as well as um, as we would have liked to think. And the other thing to think about is he doesn't block ever. I mean, maybe in the fourth quarter, in the games on the line, he'll start block, but he doesn't block ever. And when you're trying to run screens, I mean – so here's the conundrum. You're trying to run a screen, and everybody everybody says, well, we should do away with screens. But screens are a part of everybody's game in the NFL, including the Patriots. The Patriots run I – mean, this was the joke on people. People were like, finally, Adam Gaze is gone. We'll get rid of the bubble screen. It's like, uh, newsflash, guys. The Patriots run the bubble screen slightly more than Adam Gaze does. Yes. Um, so, so, I mean, you run a bubble screen – you run a bubble screen and you're stuck with this conundrum because he cannot block in front of it. And he cannot be the guy who catches and runs it either because that's not his game and he's not good at it. Um, so, you know, you're stuck with that conundrum. He's kind of a deep player. He can run some routes. You don't really have strong quarterback play anyway. I think if you don't, if you got a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, the guys that you want are guys like Devonte Parker um, or Preston Williams, guys who can go up and get it. And I think that that ends up being true with Josh Rosen as well, as we've seen in the preseason and his favoritism towards Preston Williams. So, I, you know, he, we're stuck with this player that's probably not as valuable to us as he might be with another team. And when you have those sort of mismatches in value, then that's when you end up with what we did, which is a trade. Yeah. What do you think about, uh, we touched on Julian Davenport, Johnson Badamosi strikes me, uh, you know, and speaking to a couple of Patriots guys that I know, worked very hard on special teams, was a bit of a liability when, when he was on the field in coverage, but um, adds to that special teams mix that is very important in a Brian Flores team. Um, any any thoughts on Badamosi as a player and, uh, and a, a guy that we picked up? Yeah, let me say this. They cut... Cornell Armstrong, in my eyes, and I could be wrong, and obviously I am wrong because they cut him, and he's now a, I was about to say San Diego Charger and Los Angeles Charger. No. no oh, I, thought he, I thought he went to the Texans. I mean, I we basically so just traded, we, tra- we traded Armstrong for Batamosi, basically. He's a, te- he's a Texan, definitely. That's yeah. insane. So the Texans yeah. essentially upgraded the, the position. In he signed my a two-year eyes, contract with the Texans. In my eyes, I thought Cornell Armstrong was the best special teamer. Uh, and I understand that we have Walt Aikens and he's the captain and he's a really good special teamer. But in my eyes, during camp and preseason, Cornell Armstrong was the best special teamer on the team and he gets cut. And now he's elsewhere. So they're replacing one guy that they're probably a little bit more familiar with with a guy they weren't familiar with that's probably better. So it feels like Walt, Walt Aikens. Badamosi um, and um, Chris Lamons are kind of yeah. those the, the hardcore of that special teams. So, uh, another guy who's clearly going to be a, a bit of a special teams maven because that's what he was in New Orleans was Vince Beagle, the Wisconsin linebacker. 
um, who feels like a bit of a sub-package player that you could see on a Patriots team, probably winning two Super Bowls, doing a few sort of sort of lesser Carvan Noy pieces, mm-hmm. um, playing well on special teams, sub-package pass rusher, that kind of thing, a team leader. He was traded for essentially a swap for Kiko Alonso, essentially really to get Alonso's contract off the books. Any thoughts right. on the end of the Alonso reign in Miami and the start of the Vince Beagle reign in Miami? I think, be, be you know, watch out for this. Because I know Nick DeLuca came in. He was like a late, a late newcomer, I guess, uh, to the roster mid-camp. And suddenly he's on first string a lot. And we saw, we saw it. Um, watch out for Vince Beagle to do sort of a similar thing if Vince or if uh, Nick DeLuca is not careful and if Andrew Van Ginkle doesn't come back quickly enough. There, there's a reason that you would mine players out of Wisconsin in this defense. And the, you're talking about Andrew Van Ginkle and talking about Vince Beagle now. Um, they, they have the background to be able to play what Miami is going to ask, sometimes ask their linebackers to, to play. And that's like Donta Hightower, Kyle Van Noy. I mean, when Vince Beagle was coming out, I compared – I mean, the obvious comparison was – comparisons were Kyle Van Noy and Rob Ninkovich. I mean, that was that was the kind of player he is. He's a guy that can play outside. He can play some inside, play stacked linebacker, play on the uh, on the edge, rush the passer. I mean, he he got a little bit outshone by, um, by T.J. Watt, who wouldn't. Um, but, you know, because Watt just had that – more of that explosive quality, but Beagle had the, I mean, he was actually more disciplined. Uh, he showed, you know, better technique and use of leverage and hands than even TJ Watt did uh, back, back when they were two, both at Wisconsin. So I think that he's a guy that is coming to the exact right system. And when that happens, you know, be careful. He might actually play. You might see him a lot and, um, and he might be better than you think. Um, going back to that Laramie Tunsil point just a minute ago, um, in terms of left tackle, right tackle, I've been, uh, I've messaged uh, Paul Alexander, who was a long-time Cincinnati Bengals offensive line coach, and uh, he's just replied to me on Twitter. And he says, in today's NFL, you need two really good tackles. Well, obviously, there are just as many elite rushes on either side, but everything being equal, you'd like the backside of the quarterback protected better, but you can scheme if necessary. Bottom line is, a good right tackle is more valuable than an average left tackle protecting a left-hander. So mm. I think that goes part of the way to answering the question that we, we asked earlier on. That is interesting. That, that is Kiko, interesting, and that's, that's an expert yeah. opinion. On Kiko, Alonso, on Kiko Alonso, do you remember ever a guy that made so many plays but hurt your defense more than Kiko Alonso? That's yeah. a great point. Maybe Terrell that's Buckley? I was, trying to, I was thinking about this today. Is, is he the modern version of Terrell Buckley? Because Terrell Buck, Buckley made so many plays but got beat so much. Is he that? Could, is that who Kiko Alonso is? That could be, but you know, I I do think that to be fair to Kiko, a lot of the times when we saw you know saw him looking out of place or like he's blowing it, I, I do think a lot of those instances there were there were other people that were actually and and he ends up trying to do somebody else's job or somebody didn't do their job and and it makes him look bad. I I think there was some of that going on. I think the bottom line is the guy asked for a trade. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he didn't really want to be here. That was not new. I was told that, and I was told that 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 had been going on for a long time. And I'm not breaking any news here, but I could, I could, I'm telling you, he was injured all of camp. Yeah. With a real first day from first day. He got injured the first day of camp. Pretty much. I think the first play, you know, 
And if it wasn't the first play, it was probably the second play. So, yeah, he's been in, he was injured all camp, and he just asked out, and now he's out, and he's going to be on a good team. That's a that's and, a good team. And you know who did it too? <laughs> um, yes. So, but yeah, I, I think the bottom line is he he asked out. I think they could have worked with him, but I think there's obvious salary reasons why. I mean, listen, this salary is cheap as hell, and this is the cheapest salary or salary cap. Not not salary cap. I don't want to say it. This is the cheapest cash payroll I think I've ever seen in the mm. NFL relative to what's going on in the NFL. They're they're number thirty two in cash payroll right now. Number thirty one ha- is pay is shelling out thirty six over thirty six million dollars more than the Dolphins. That's how they they blasted a hole through the floor and then went down three other floors. You know, at the bottom yeah. of the the cash payroll. And they are now so, the officially the youngest team in the NFL with an average yeah. age of twenty five point two years. We 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 cut even more money from that um, from that budget, as it were, today with the release of defensive tackle Vincent Taylor, who perhaps was their most impactful DT per snap last season. And whilst I I am reticent to ever mention Pro Football Focus, mm-hmm. uh, I know that PFF certainly gave him strong grades over his first two seasons in the league. This one is a surprise, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I don't think we expected this. I think he's a, you know, he's been a solid player. Joe Shad reported that scheme fit was the issue. Which is bullshit. With, with Taylor. No, I buy um, Really? Where do we, where yeah. do we stand up? Because he, he's young, he's cheap, he's shown a lot of promise. Um, the Dolphins are pretty light at defensive tackle. Um, what do you think the story is behind it? Do you think it was uh, a, a schematics or do you think it's something else? Because it feels like a shock. Well, on Saturday morning, they cut Tank Carradine. And I was, I was shocked. That one is shocking. Okay, because this guy, you know, and, and everybody was saying, ah, you know, he was bad. And that's why they cut him. And he's no good. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. Okay, the reason Tank Carradine got all of those first team snaps and lined up on first team every single practice during camp and then lined up on first team in the preseason is because they thought he was good. Then they just cut him, and I don't understand why. And everybody's saying, well, look, he he hasn't been picked up yet. Well, guys like that usually when they're reclamation projects and they get cut again, most teams in the NFL just go back, just default back to their old film. So you can actually hurt a guy's career by just cutting him for no reason. So that one surprised me. Then they cut Vincent Taylor, and I completely forgot about Tank Harry. Like, I don't get it. And I, and I understand that they're saying that it's a scheme fit. I don't understand it. I guess Chris is going to explain it a little bit better. But he looked to me like a guy that could play all along the defensive line and ask them, you know, and, and everything. Look, he doesn't, he's not going to play zero tech, okay? But he could play – he could rush from the three tech in, in pass situations, okay? They could line him, up, uh, line him up over a tackle, and he could do his job there. So I don't understand what they mean by he's not a scheme fit when he could do a couple, at least a couple of things on this defense. I don't know what you mean by it, but I guess you'll explain it, Chris. I just don't think he's a read and react player. I think that he made his, he made his bones in, uh, in, in the last system that we had under Matt Burke and with, um, with uh, Chris Kasurik as the defensive line coach. Chris Kasurik coached these guys to just go all out, you know, balls to the wall, straight off the snap, and then – you know, react to the, uh, to the, to the football. And that's where Vincent Taylor, you know, really stood out in this system. And if you go back to what he was at Oklahoma state, 
you know, you could kind of see it. You could see what kind of player. He was a very productive player at o- Oklahoma State, uh, making plays in the backfield and, you know, really, really attacking. And, um, and he gets to this style of system, and it worked well for him. But they're not asking their guys to do that anymore. And I kind of – I tried to warn Twitter followers and, you know, podcast listeners and stuff beforehand that, listen – this defensive line style with these defensive tackles and the way that they're playing could not be more opposite of what they were asking the guys to do last year. And because of that, you're going to have unexpected casualties. You're going to have guys that you think are good, mm. but it's in this, in this system, it's just not going to work. And we don't know who that is. We, you know, we toss out names and say, ah, maybe I'm guessing that it'll be this guy or that guy or something like that. We don't know. We don't know yeah. until they actually start doing it. And I think that what we've seen in the preseason, and this is, this is the way the preseason has gone too, uh, Devon Godshaw has taken to it. You know, Devon Godshaw has done well, but he did some of that. He did some of that in uh, LSU as well. Um, so he had a little bit of an advantage. Um, mm-hmm. Vincent Taylor did not. I, what I saw in preseason was an average looking player. Uh, you know, if that in this, in this defensive line style. So I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Like, you know, okay, well there was, there was always going to be a casualty or two. Uh, among our defensive linemen because of this, the switch to the style. I think we got surprised on Charles Harris uh, a little bit. Um, maybe not so much of a surprise on Devon Godshaw, but Vincent Taylor didn't take to it, and so he's gone. The bigger shock to me was Tank Carradine. Yeah. So We signed John Jenkins. Uh, Sorry, go on. Yeah, let me, say, let, me say this, let me say this before you take us through John Jenkins. You know, we are, we're informed. We watch everything that the fans watch as far as preseason. And then we're, you know, I'm at every single camp practice and that's, you know, two hours a day. But Brian Flores and this staff is with these guys for an extra six hours. And they have more resources than we do to evaluate these players. So trust me when I tell you that they have a reason. Now we may disagree with the reason, but mm. on Vincent Taylor, it could have been a whole host of things that had nothing to do with football as well. And we will never know what those things were. So, Very true. So, you know, we just don't know. We signed Jenkins, as I mentioned, one and a half career sacks, uh, third round draft pick in 2013. He's bounced around four different teams. He's 6'4", 346 pounds. Taylor was 311 pounds. Chris, in terms of that, uh, and really, you know, he was a nose tackle at Georgia. Um, he certainly did that, played that position in Seattle. He lined up uh, over the center with the Bears. What... What do you think he's bringing, if anything, to the team? He's 31 years old, 30 years old, just turned 30. What, what, what do we think about Jenkins and any longevity that he has? And also touch upon Gerald Willis as well, who's a guy I think we all, all three of us liked an awful lot out of the University of Miami. Lots of off-field issues. Was cut by Baltimore, a very competitive defensive line that we're going to see a lot of at the weekend when mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is sacked about 40 times. So not surprising that he perhaps didn't make it there, but a uh, potentially high upside player if we can get him, get him going. But what do you think those two guys bring the pair of you? Jenkins, I, I quite honestly, I was never a big fan of him at Georgia. Um, and so I, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm biased or anything. I'm just wondering what he's going to bring to the table. His age does surprise me. As you say, he's 30 years old. Um, but at the same time, it, I think the obvious is the obvious. They're looking for a uh, discreet role player here. And he is six foot three and 346 pounds. He's an obvious nose. Yeah. He might not actually play on the nose, but 
you know what he's going to be doing. You know what the what the function he's going to serve on the defensive line whenever they say they bring out personnel packages where they know they're going to go with a um, with like a bear front or something yeah. like that. Then um, yeah, then you know then one. you know what he's going to be doing. Uh, so they had a guy like this in New England last year, and um, they had two guys like this, but one of them that they pulled in from Cleveland was Danny Shelton. And, uh, and it's, it's a discreet role. So, um, they're doing it on the cheap and they think that they're going to get competent play out of him. I don't know if I agree that they're going to get competent play out of him or not, but, uh, but it's obvious what they're going for. Yeah. This is the same move that they did last year when they brought in Sylvester Williams and Ziggy hood. I love those moves. I thought that they were useful players at the time when they brought them in and then they proved to be, you know, useful players. They played, you know, they weren't playing you know, 50, 60 snaps, but they were, they were spot played and they played okay when they were in there. That's what they're trying to do with this guy. This guy's, you know, he's not going to play more. I would say he won't play any more than 15 snaps a game. Maybe they'll spot play mm-hmm. him usually on rundowns. So yeah, if he works out great, because all they're going to do is replace him next year with another guy who's cheap and who's probably in that age range as well. Before we get out of here, uh, can we play some funereal music for the, dear departed john he's not Denny. dead simon he may as well be i mean <laughs> 200 yeah, like, what is he gonna go do? we will see him bent over and, no longer he's 224 appearances with the miami dolphins second most in team history behind dan marino only the second 40 year old to play for the team joining earl morrill we have signed somebody called we have signed something called a table pepper, which I thought was something that like they had a, a Popeye's chicken that you had with that great chicken sandwich that everybody talks about. Give me a bit of table pepper. Yeah, I'll have some table pepper and some mayonnaise. mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah. um, pepper, apparently 24 hours ago, was uh, a party at Shake Shack with his family. Uh, was called by the Dolphins. They flew him in for an early morning tryout and he, he essentially got the job and they got rid of uh, of Denny. Um, he wears a headband. Um, he wears number 46. Although um, he was 59 at, at, he, uh, in Green Bay. He's now officially number four. We've got some new numbers, actually. Mark Walton will be 22. Alan Hearns, 17. Christian Wilkins has changed the number to 94. And mm. Table Pepper is 46. What are we... I mean, Denny has been a... We do laugh, but Denny has been an absolute Iron Man for this team over... I mean, I don't know how many coaches he survived. But I mean... He, he was here when Nick Saban was coaching. I mean, he must have been through eight or nine different coaches. That's he how he won here. the job. Uh, yeah, I think he was here through maybe every single coach since Jimmy. Is no, that- so yeah. no, he won the job. He won the job under Saban, I believe. He he. Are you sure uh, he was defeated with, with Cam Cameron? He defeated so, Ed Perry. I remember this. Saban Saban he, brought him in, and he defeated Ed Perry for the okay. uh, job. And he Ed Perry had been Saban, Saban, Cameron, Sperano, Philbin, mm-hmm. Gase as permanent head coaches, mm-hmm. um, throw in Dan Campbell and however many other um, part-time head coaches we've had. But the Flores axe was too much. I've seen a statement from John Denny, which I'll read to you if I can choke mm-hmm. back the tears, which say, today unfortunately marks the end of my time with the Miami Dolphins. I want to thank the Dolphins for giving me a chance back in 1805. Uh, 2005. Over the last 14 years, I have had many wonderful, hardworking teammates, all of whom I'd like to thank. I'd like to thank all the coaches that I've worked with in Miami. In addition, I'd like to thank some of the greatest fans in the league. You've shown me so much love, blah, 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 blah. Please know that your support, especially on social media, since the announcement has been appreciated. Thank you, John Denny. 
What a ledge. What a legend. Now, here's an interesting thing. John Denny uh, cross-trained as a defensive end. I never remember him ever getting a defensive end snap. But I'm looking over his numbers, and his numbers are really, really interesting because he has 11 tackles in 14 years. But he also wow. has two fumbles. How did that happen? Yes. And two fumble recoveries. And two fumble recoveries, and he forced a fumble. Now, the two wanna... fumbles, are those – how would they characterize those? Are those bad snaps? Must be. Because yeah, if that's true, be. then that's two bad snaps in 14 years. Is he the greatest long snapper of all time? Okay, here we go. I've got a little John Denny quiz for you before we get out of here. What right. is, without looking at the computer, Alf, what is John Denny's <laughs> mid – what is his mid – I can hear you clicking away. What is, his, <laughs> what is his middle name? I had no idea what his middle name is, but I know it now because I'm staring at it. Alfred? Si- Sifford. I mean, who's called Sifford? Sifford. <laughs> Sifford? It's enough to cut him yes. just for that. What time did he run in the 40 at the 1981 combine? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say a 491. Oh, that's close, buddy. And that is very good. He ran a 498, uh, actually. Okay. But that's, that's pretty close. He attended a college called Rick's College before he went to BYU. And his final game was a bowl game. What was the name of that bowl game? He also had two sacks and two pass deflections in that game. So that tells you everything you need to know. Wow. It wow. was called the What What Bowl. <laughs> what, what? Well, he went to BYU. BYU played in the Holiday Bowl for like 40 years straight. He went, he went to community college first. Yes. Okay. But he was in the What What. He was in and the What What Bowl. A 44-14 win over Snow College in the Real Dairy Bowl. The Real Dairy Bowl. That's a beautiful name for a bowl game. He actually had 42 tackles, six tackles for a loss, and four and a half sacks as a junior, and then four and a half sacks and a forced fumble as a senior, and played in the Hula Bowl, all as a defensive end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, let me say this this before we get out of here, and then you can take us out, Simon. Well, every quarterback that's come after Dan Marino has played with in the shadow of Dan Marino and with a sense of pressure. How would you like to be Tabor Pepper, whoever that is, mm. season, if he snaps the ball over the punter's head once? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think he'll be kept for the rest of the season if he snaps the ball over the punter's head because it's obvious we're tanking. <laughs> Tabor Tunga Vailoa. Anyway, on that note, let's yep. get out of here. Enough. Enough. Uh, we shall be back next week where we will uh, – Talk about the Baltimore Ravens and how they managed to put 75 points on the high school defense that we have. Uh, Thanks for listening. I am Simon. He is Chris. He is also Alf. John Denny, here's to you, sir. Chapeau. See you later. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.